we have anticipated being here. I'm sure my anticipation was just a little bit different than Philip's, but we have been uh, looking forward to it. We're, we are excited about um, learning, uh, revisiting old, old friends, making new friends, and uh, just a fellowship together. I am encouraged by seeing other believers that um, want to serve the Lord and in the practical areas of life. And I don't know of any more practical subjects than what we have today. And that's the kind I enjoy talking about. And actually, it's like a passion. And I get excited about it. And, but I, I feel just about overwhelmed, I'll be honest about it, um, getting it all together and racing a clock. And um, yeah, so do, do keep praying keep prayers. Ephesians 4.32 is what I would call the text verse for the message, um, cultivating a thrive. And I really hope that these meetings will give inspiration and courage to each one. Um, I'm excited to see the children, and I enjoy talking to children. And uh, I've told our children already that I'm going to try to put it down on your level so that way, if you get home and your parents didn't understand it, you can explain it to them. Okay? Is that all right? And I hope that as parents, we can be inspired, given a little courage to, well, this morning, in the first one, in our home, in our, with our spouse, and then in child training. And I surely am not coming with, like, hard words and reproaches and... Um, I don't even know you folks, and I'm just glad to be able to come and just preach. I did preach this message at home, told them, I'm trying it out on you. <laughs> and they said, take it on to Virginia. So here we are. The text verse, Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another. Sounds like a child's verse, doesn't it? <laughs> it is, for all of us big children too. Be ye kind one to another. Think about now, marriage relationships, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, the title says cultivating. Cultivate is to foster growth, to improve by labor, care, or study, to further encourage. Um, Sarah has a woodland, she calls it, and with her flowers, and, and she spends a good bit of time out there cultivating it, fostering growth, uh, improve by labor, care, and study. Now, I want you to think about all this in relation to your marriage. We have to be intentional about what we want, the direction we go, the direction if if no care is given to something, what happens? If she says, fooey on the woodland, what's going to be, what's it going to look like by next year? The way, the bias of nature is always towards the wild. I think that was A.W. Tozer. So we have to give its work to cultivate a marriage. Thriving is characterized by success or prosperity. I would say her woodland is thriving. It looks good. Uh, I enjoy going out and looking at it. Well, our desire is to have marriages that are characterized by success, and there will need to be 
energy, thought, and effort put into it. And that's just like blood, sweat, and tears. Energy, thought, and effort put into it to achieve the kind of marriage that we all would like to have. I hope, now I know not everybody here is married. And I don't want you to think there'll be nothing for you. All, almost all the principles talked about here this morning are, are necessary to cultivate thriving relationships on any level. It just takes bigger doses of them for marriage. And I know sometimes I've had unmarried friends that think, oh, if I just was married, I'd have it made. And they only know they would, they would trade that set of problems for another set of problems. And maybe it would even take a bigger dose. You know, if we don't get along in a country, we can move to another country. If we don't like the United States, we'll pick another one if you think it's better somewhere else. Or the community. If you don't like here on Hinton Road, I guess you could go to, and I'll just say Elkton. I don't know my geography really well around here. But that's. And even if you don't like the bank church, you can go somewhere else, right? But not so in a marriage. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one. And what therefore God hath joined together Amplified says, let no one separate. Every one of us here that are married has promised the only thing that will cause a separation. It's only one thing that can cause that separation. It's death. There's no exit door to marriage except death. But in this close relation, that has no exit door other than death is where we have the opportunity to be tested the greatest and at the same time learn the most valuable lessons if we make the right choices. You see, it's in the closeness of this relationship that our true colors come out. Who you really are is who you are at home. I see a lot of nice people here this morning dressed. I have no faults with you. I don't know you. We might touch on that a little more tonight. I remembered of our family enjoys singing, and we sang a song. It's called um, Listen to His Songs. It's written by John Paul Raber. Any of you know him? And it says, if you really want to know a man, listen to what he sings. Well, we sang the song, and there was a man that was at Shepherd's Fold um, Rehab for Men in Pennsylvania, and he rejected, he objected to that song. He said, no. He said, my dad sang the right songs, but he was a bear at home. If you want to know what a real man is, ask his wife and children. So I thought, well, that's interesting. So I contacted John Paul Raper and I told him the story. And he came up with two more verses to it. And I don't remember, don't have them written down exactly what they are, but it made a really, it kind of changed it from the, the most important being the songs he sings to what he is at home. And I believe that's right. You are what you are at home. 
In this closeness of this relationship is where the real colors come out of who you really are. Now, I don't want to paint just the possibility of sadness and grief in your home, in the home. But I do believe that homes can be the nearest and they are the nearest to heaven on earth or they can be the nearest, yeah, to hell on earth. I've been blessed beyond measure, I feel, to come from a home, from a godly home where parents loved each other and loved their children, gave us a home which was a haven, good memories and a wonderful example. And I'm blessed with a wife of 49 years. And I keep realizing, we keep realizing more and more what a blessing that we have to be together. And we realize more and more at this stage that our days are numbered. And that each day is a gift. And I wish I, you know, I wish I would have got this a long time ago. Every morning you wake up, you have another gift from God to enjoy being with your partner, to live for God, and it's exciting. And the most fulfilling and inspirational that it can be would be inside of your home. Anytime you wander from that, it's only going to be downhill. I realize that time is too short to squander away the precious time that we have. Now, I had just a couple questions. And these aren't to be answered except in your heart. Are you satisfied where your relationship is in your home? This is husbands and wives. Are you satisfied? The next question would be, what can you do to improve it? What could you do to improve it? And the last question, are you willing to do that? And I really hope that the message stirs deep in our hearts to look at our homes with our children and evaluate what kind of a legacy that we're leaving for our children. Think about it. What will the children, what is influencing them? It's not all about just what they're going to think about and oh, the fine times and precious memories and, you know, a perfect dad and mom and all that stuff. But how are they being influenced and how is it going to affect the life that they have to live for the rest of their life and the, the pain and the hurts and the struggles that they go through because of what is happening today? Are our children being taught? Are they being protected? Are they being guided? And I assure you the rewards for cultivating a marriage so that it thrives it's one of the greatest rewards you can get on earth. When you have a godly home, when you cultivate a marriage where you love your children and you love your spouse, I don't know of anything. There's no, no investments in the stock market. There's no investment in property. Nothing that compares to having children grow up and come back, throw their arms around and say, Dad, Mom, I love you. There's just nothing that compares to that. So couples, when you get to a hard spot, let me, let me state that over, that when couples get to a hard spot and run, 
They never learn to become one. You get to a hard spot and, and pull away, you never learn to become one. And the beauty of what God wants from a one man, one woman relationship. And so I'm gonna tell you here, couples, face your problems. Don't pretend that we must not have a good marriage because we have problems. That's not the defining line between good and bad marriages. The defining line between good and bad marriages is that the good marriages have found mature ways to solve their problems. And the bad marriages react instead of respond. So face your problems. Don't be ashamed to ask for help. Every marriage here, I'll say at least five years, and I think probably could lower that a little bit, but every marriage has had problems to deal with. I wish, no, I wouldn't be realistic. I, if I was going to say I wish I could tell Sarah and I've never had a problem. <laughs> We've had some real issues to deal with and to walk through. We're no stranger to it. And so therefore, face your problems. Don't be ashamed to go to somebody and say, we need help. And when husband and wife can be humble enough to, to say, we need help, what can we learn? That's a good start to growth, to finding a solution. Be honest and open. You will never solve a problem by being secretive and closed and distant to each other. You'll never find a problem by stonewalling, avoiding. And that's true in any relationship. What will it take to cultivate so that we have thriving marriages? I remind you here that there is no marriage that couldn't have gone right. And there's no marriage that couldn't have gone wrong. So when we get to the practical part of it, I thought I'd just start with the vows that we made, those of us that are married. <clears throat> we were asked the questions about, do we believe marriage is an ordinance of institute of God? And we did. And were we able to confess that we're free from all other engagements whatsoever? And we were. And then <clears throat> the bishop would say, brother, Standing by your side is this sister whom you have asked to be your wedded wife. Now, I want you to think. And he asked, this is, this is to the brothers. Will you love and cherish her? I kind of like this better than a wedding sermon because we can all think about it. You know, we say this in the, in the ceremony and you know how fast we get through it. And the man is standing, oh, yeah, no problem. I'd never do anything different, you know. Will you love and cherish her? I could say here, have you loved and cherished her? Will you provide and care for her in health and in sickness, in prosperity and in adversity? Exercise patience, kindness, forbearance toward her, Live with her in peace as becomes a faithful Christian husband. And forsaking all others, keep yourself only to her as long as you both shall live. And 
course, you know, oh, yes, absolutely. And I, you know, I see them, they look at each other and they smile and everything is. And then he'd say to the, to the sister, he says, standing by, by your side, is this brother that you've agreed shall be your husband. Will you love and cherish him in health and in sickness and in prosperity and in adversity? Will you share with him the joys and the sorrows of life? Exercise patience, kindness, and forbearance toward him and submit yourself to him and live with him in peace as becomes a faithful Christian wife and forsaking all others, keep yourself only to him as long as you both shall live. And of course, she's starry-eyed and definitely she wants to do that. And then I ask him to hold out, to join right hands and I put my hand on top and pronounce them husband and wife. And therefore, God is joined together. Let no man pull asunder. There's no exception clause in this vow. You promise, we promise to love, we promise to submit, we promise to keep ourselves only to that person, to our spouse, and that nothing, that there's no exit there except death. Now, I have a number of things. would like to try to make this message practical. Cultivating thriving marriages. Number one, very basic desire. You have to have a desire. I knew of a man one time that his wife tried to be nice to him and he said, well, I know what you're doing. You're just trying to what, salt my oats or something like that. And he wouldn't drink. <laughs> and I say, man, if, if, you're, if your wife is trying to be nice to you, what do you want? <laughs> But what I'm saying is we have to have a desire. It has to burn from within us to want a good marriage. This needs to be from our heart. Yes. Put everything into it. And there are times when we need to make a new commitment. Yes, I'm going to put effort into it. I have failed. I have drifted. I have cooled. I'm going to try my part. Maybe there's a confession needs to be made. Maybe voicing a desire to be the partner that God wants you to be. But we must have a, a desire. And I think, I think it's good to ask God for that desire. Make it a matter of prayer. And don't, don't expect that God's going to just kind of open up your head and, and pour it in like I could pour this water. You have your part to do, and we'll get to some more of that later. But I think it is good to ask God to start to burn in your heart, to give you that desire. And there again, you have to have that desire if you're going to ask God to give you the desire. <laughs> but that's where it starts, to understand love. Understand love. Because if we have the, a, a worldly view of love, we're going to be sadly disappointed in a marriage. It's not the rush of emotion that goes over two people at first sight. I remember many years ago, Sarah was raised in Pensacola. They had a little congregation there, and they had a lot of girls. We were raised at Hepzibah, and 
some of you remember John Barnarts and James Eshelmans and Jerry Yoders, and we had a lot of boys. Well, her parents came through from Pensacola on Bible school, and we got together after Bible school to do what young people like to do, you know. We, we did some singing, and I noticed this one young lady that looked at me, and I happened to look at her at the same time, and we both smiled. And I never forgot that smile and that little you know, rush of emotion that went through me. Was that love? Well, <laughs> let's, let's move on. <clears throat> I want to tell you what love is, and if you forget everything else today, don't forget what love is. Love is the commitment of your will for the good of another. Love is the commitment of your will for the good of another. And that, my friend, must be there when that rush of emotion is long gone. When I forgot about that beautiful smile 20 years ago, 40 years ago. No, it's been over 50 years ago. But that commitment of my will for her good. That's what love is. When you don't feel like it. But you know this is what would be for her good and for our good as a married couple. Maybe it's that the baby's been sick all day and so many things and at night the baby starts crying one more time and your wife is so tired and you're just, you've about had everything you can have and you say, you know what? I'm gonna do my part. You get up and take care of the fussy baby for a while and a thousand other things. When you make the right choices in a test, the emotion of love and security will be there and much more satisfying than that rush of emotion. Try it one time. What happens, what's the old carnal way, is something happens that we don't like and we're tempted to pull back and stonewall each other and avoid each other. And But love is when you're fully committed, when you're committed and you say, well, now I'm going to re respond instead of react and I'm going to do what it's going to take for the good of my wife for my husband that's when there will be a security there and love that would be much more satisfying than the rush of emotion <clears throat> I, I tell you those first little glances and all I'll add one more part to that do you know that a selfish person gets those same things? It does. You can be completely selfish and get the emotion. But I want to tell you, go one step farther, that the more selfish, further you will go to get that emotion satisfied. And that's where thousands of marriages fall apart. Because of selfish people looking for that emotion that they thought they had. And so they keep going to try to find it again. But when you have that commitment for the good, commitment of the will for the good of another, and that's when the joy can come in and that, that emotion comes in and that security that goes along with it, that's far better than just some little instant emotion don't go searching for the rush of emotion that you should that you think should be 
or that your body calls out for. Your old flesh will always call for things that are outside of its bounds to have. Do you believe that? Did you hear me, young people? Your flesh will always do that. I thought when I was young, well, once I get married, I won't have any temptations. Now that looks really stupid now. Your flesh is never satisfied. It always wants things that are out there that it's not supposed to have. And that's why I think it's very important to build a good foundation for a home and to have a hands-off courtship and focus on the spiritual, on the relationship and building and learning to know each other so when you come together as one, your relationship will be so much better. And you have already learned how to say no to your flesh. If you don't know how to say no to your flesh before marriage, how much confidence will you have that in your partner that he'll know how to say no afterwards? <clears throat> the old flesh will always call out for what it is not its to have and start giving in to the flesh, looking for that high. There is no end. Many men and women have gone to drugs and porn looking looking for that emotion, for that, for that high that went along with that instant gratification of things they were not supposed to have. And so they keep reaching farther and farther. And do you know that drugs and porn do the same thing for your brain? It's an addiction. And let me tell you, men and women, it is sin. It is evil. I've heard of men that say, well, it's not a really big deal, you know, look at some porn. It is a big deal. You have just broken the last thing in your vows when you said you'll keep yourself or your, for, to your partner, excluding all of the, how did it say that? Um, keep yourselves only unto your partner as long as you both shall live. It is a big deal. And I'll tell you something else. It's always an ever-increasing desire. When you start going after your flesh, it's an ever-increasing desire with an ever-diminishing pleasure. Ever-increasing desire. Your flesh, you start giving flesh what it wants, and pretty soon that doesn't satisfy. Any amens? Thank you. A little weak, but we heard it. And then it always goes for more and more and more until you're far, far from what you thought you would ever be. Killers to a good marriage. Okay, understand love. You remember now what love is? Commitment of the will for the good of the other. Not some little fuzzy rush of emotions down in your stomach somewhere. Number three, be ready to forgive. Why is it so hard to forgive? Why can't we freely forgive? Your wife does something that just grinds you completely the wrong way. And she says, oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> Why is it so hard? Or maybe, am I the only weird one? Well, forgiveness for the fault of our spouse must come from within. Too often we fear it's an easy out for the spouse. You know, and I'm telling on myself now because... I thought for a long time, you know, she'd do something and she found out I didn't like it at all. And she said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, that's easy. She just says, I'm sorry. Then I'm supposed to act like nothing ever happened. <clears throat> Why is it so hard to forgive? 
To offer forgiveness is hard on your pride. That's what it is. It's hard on your pride to forgive, to turn it loose, to let it go. You know, God says he takes our sins and casts them behind his back or in the depth of the sea or as far as east is from the west. They're gone. Why can't we do that? All right, be ready to forgive. Number four, go the second mile. Give what seems to be 100%. We used to hear about, you know, marriage being a 50-50. It's not. Most everybody at some point in life, you think you're doing about 100, maybe 110% of it. And probably your spouse is thinking the same thing. But you remember, we read about long-suffering. Uh, in our vows, we talked about being long-suffering, patience, kindness. We're talking, about, we're talking about going the second mile. Meekness. <clears throat> and I think this was probably meekness is especially for us men. Meekness means restrained power. I like the little story about a man that wanted to gift some little children, young children, with a horse. And it was a big horse, but he sent the horse to the children, and he sent a note along to the parents, and he said, this was in the old days, and they used a little different English, but he said, this horse is so meek that even the children can ride. That's restrained power. Men, that's what he tells us to have. Restrain power. We know that we're stronger. So go the second mile. Number five is to communicate. Communicate like you did before marriage, right? Because we were back from the day that we didn't know anything about text messaging. I wonder how many text messages are sent nowadays on young couples before they get married. I don't know. I know in our sons got married, I, I put a limit on them. I said, you know, just anybody need to, married people, y'all need a limit now? You know, man, he just texts me all the time, telling me how much he loves me and all this stuff, and I can't get my work done. Any problem with that? <laughs> we probably don't have too much of that. But communicate with your spouse. Invite your spouse to share deep thoughts. Keep in touch. Let her know when you'll be late for supper. Let her know where you are. I think your spouse has the right to know where you are, not just to be nosy, but it's just respect. I say, hey, I've got to run to who knows where, but so she knows. Of course, I know, you know, you probably have 360 and you can look them up and all that, find exactly where they are. But communicate, pray together, important. Number six is to show appreciation. Show appreciation. You know, your children should learn manners and respect by watching dad. After a meal, shame on you if you just leave the table and don't say, thank you for the good supper or whatever. You know, thank you. And the children will pick that up. That warm smile. Show appreciation. Is, there, is it too hard to smile at your spouse? I want you to think about it. And thank God I don't know you. <laughs> Maybe you do. Maybe you give them big warm smiles all the time. But think about it. Do some deed of service. 
Remember your partner's love language. And if you haven't figured it out, you'll do yourself a favor to figure it out. And don't try to fill her love language by the one that you like. Ours is different. And if I start doing to her what I want her to do to me, it's like, duh, what happened? I mean, it doesn't work. <clears throat> Let me see, where are we here? You know, to show appreciation wasn't hard while we were courting, was it? Let's say, try it again. Try it again. Get anger and bitterness out of the way and start showing appreciation and see real with that. Husbands, Colossians 3.19, love your wives and be not bitter against them. That's a man thing. Bitterness is a man thing. And I think don't be bitter. He had to inject that in there. Love your wives, don't be bitter. And he said, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. The Amplified says, be subject out of respect for their position as protector and their accountability to God as is proper and not in conflict with scripture. And I would like to ask you husbands, okay, we're to be subject to Christ as our wife is to us. And I would just ask for you to look inside and are you in subjection to Jesus to the degree you want your wife to be to yourself? Number seven is to be tender-hearted. Never speak unkindly to each other or about each other. Be tender-hearted to each other. If you, if, when you, uh, yeah, not if, but when you say a little harsh word. I just had to do it the other day. Went to her and said, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the way I said that. And thank God she couldn't remember what I was talking about. I like that. <laughs> but then we both, you know, we're getting older and sometimes we just get a little forgetful. But be tender hearted, speak in tender tones. I've wondered all so many times, what if, what if one of what if I was snatched out of this life? What would be the last thing that I would have told her? The last thing I've told my children. Be tenderhearted. Give a warm smile. Have a heart for your spouse. Do something to show a warm heart. Marriages without tender hearts for each other grow calloused and cold, leading to a miserable old life. I've worked with couples who said, I just don't have love anymore and don't feel love. Too many couples have come to that place. And when we stop doing little deeds, expressing our love to our partner, this love will die. But when we start expressing affection to another, <clears throat> this will grow. And this is what's happened in, in this land thousands of times over. Husband and wife, they stop doing kindness deeds of kindness to each other and the love cools off and then I just don't feel and they're going back and wanting some little rush of emotion and I don't feel that anymore and then they go to the workplace and there's some man there that she can cry on and he's so sympathetic and it just aggravates me because I'd like to know what he's facing in his home 
But to this other woman that's crying on him about her bad situation, he can be the most sympathetic. You know what I'm talking about? And it's been the destruction of so many homes. Remember, what you feed grows, men and women, and what you starve will die. If you feed that love for your spouse, it'll grow. If you don't feel it today, start doing something about it. Because it is true, what you feed grows and what you starve will die. All right, a couple of suggestions for every couple. I knew I'd have trouble with that clock. But I guess I'll just take up a little time from the next speaker. Would that be all right? <laughs> Number one, just kind of recap and do something kind for your partner. Number two, speak a kind word of appreciation. Do some deed of service. Speak something of appreciation. Listen close. Number three. Look your partner in the eye. You know, the eye is the gateway to the soul. Look your partner in the eye. And you know, if there's something wrong, if there's something wrong, you can hardly do that. If there's unfaithfulness that you're hiding, it is very difficult to look your partner in the eye and express your love. Tell them how much you love them. Maybe you need to look your partner in the eye and tell them you're sorry. Number four, ask God to make you the partner you should be. And I want to emphasize that this is so much more important than trying to change your partner. I went too long trying to change Sarah, and, and I'm ashamed of it. But you determine to be what you should be. And you'll be surprised at what God can do. <laughs> Doesn't mean that, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's the important thing is that you be the partner you should be. And don't live to try to change your partner. Remember, you seldom will change anything for the good by coercion, pressure, or nagging. You will not get good results out of coercion, pressure, or nagging or negativity. I preached this message, I told you, and our daughter listened to it in Mexico. And so she sent me a quote that she liked, because I, I asked for help. And she said, when I mentioned about nagging, reminded me of this, she said, while you can never voice positive feelings often enough, the happiest couples Learn to pick the times when to bring up the negative. You can't voice positive often enough, but the happy couples learn when, which times to bring up the negative. There are things that we need to talk about. There, there are times we need to talk about hard things. Okay, number five is to get closer to God. Almost never will you be close to God, but far away from your partner. Thank you. I don't understand. There's a couple of great men from history past, and one of them was Charles Wesley, and his wife didn't have a good relationship. I think C.S. Lewis was another one. I don't understand that. I don't understand that, and I thank God that's something that I didn't have to deal with that, but I know that when I'm close to God, I can be close to my wife, and I think that's the way it should be. I remember cultivating crops when I was a young boy. Even to middle age, we have different farming practices now, and those old cultivators, we 
you know, we, they're on the scrap pile, but we still cultivate in the real sense of trying to increase production. <clears throat> Back then we had, yeah, just completely different equipment. And we keep looking for ways to better care for the land. Can we do that in our marriages? Keep looking for ways to make better marriages where our homes are satisfying and complete. I hope your hearts have been stirred to drive a stake. Maybe even make some changes that will bring the fruit of a marriage that's blessed with the security and peace that God intended for the one man, one woman relationship. And I want to sum it up. Crucify selfishness and then your marriage will thrive. I think that's about as simplified as I could get it down into a nutshell. If you remember what love is and crucify selfishness, your marriage can thrive. I want to close with a poem to help us consider <clears throat> the ending <clears throat> the ending that we want when our steps grow slow and the aches and the pains grow stronger and when our minds begin to dull and our memory fades and then consider will we be like this poem or will we have regrets and the title of the poem is when one is left <clears throat> two young trees grew side by side the year was young and the sky was wide the sun and the wind and the rain were kind and their branches grew strong and intertwined they weathered the storms that trees must face and each stood straight with the other to brace. Now two old trees and one great crown. But the reaper came and the one went down. Now the one left there can never be the same. It stands only a half tree. So two young lives grew side by side. Their years were young and time was wide. Our God was good and his blessings kind and their hearts grew strongly intertwined. They shared both the sweet and bitter cup as they struggled and held each other up. There were storms that challenged and changed them too. There were failures and faith and a hard way through. A strand of gold through the years God wove and it held them together, his gift of love. In the sunset's glow, they stood as one. Then the reaper came, and a life was done. Now the left behind one stands alone, and half of the life and heart are gone. But the God who gave is a God of grace, and his love is there in the empty place. I let that challenge with you. When you come to the end of the marriage that you are in today, do you want to be like those two big trees that were intertwined and where the pain of, the pain of leaving is because of the joy and the blessing and the pleasure, or will it be one of regrets? May God bless you.